So Money Episode 239, Mrs. Frugal Woods. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. everyone. Welcome back to So Money. Happy Labor Day. Hope you're having a wonderful break from work. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. And speaking of taking a break from work, uh, our guest today is on a journey to retire extremely soon, like really soon. I'm 35. She wants to retire at 33. What does that say about me? Today's guest is a self-described frugal weirdo. All the way from Boston, we have Mrs. Frugal Woods. She's one of a couple that's set on living on an extremely small budget with the goal of retiring in their 30s. They're called the Frugal Woods, and their blog is aptly titled frugalwoods.com. There they chronicle their journey. They live in Cambridge, also known as Frugal City, with their dog, Frugal Hound, who makes frequent appearances on the blog. And the couple saves more than half of their income in the hopes of retiring to a homestead in rural Vermont one day. Their end game is to create a new fulfilling life for themselves close to nature and be able to garden and just live off the land. They've become so efficient at saving that they spent just $13,000 last year in the city of Boston. How is that possible? They're also expecting their first child and have just spent about $20 on the baby so far. Is that going to keep up? How is this possible, right? Right now they are 30 and have just three years, they say, to go until retirement. In our conversation with Mrs. Frugalwoods, Mr. Frugalwoods was at work, so we just got uh, Mrs. Frugalwoods on the phone, but she has some amazing advice for all of us. She talks about frugal luxury. How does that work? How can you be frugal and luxurious at the same time? Saving 71% of their income last year, and guess what? They don't budget. And maintaining an extremely frugal lifestyle as parents. They've spent just a whopping $20 on the baby so far, and she is six months pregnant. Once that baby arrives, do they think they can still be frugal? Here we go. Unleashing Mrs. Frugal Woods. Welcome to the show, Mrs. Frugal Woods. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, never since Mr. Money Mustache have I had a, a guest with an alias quite so creative. Uh, so this is a real treat for us. And we're excited to learn more about the uh, the story behind the Frugal Woods blog. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So Mrs. Frugal Woods, we're, we're uh, not using your real name because uh, you want to remain anonymous. You still have you know, nine to five jobs and uh, a life outside of your blog that you'd like to keep private. But uh, your journey to saving an extreme amount of money and retiring in your 30s, you've made very public on your site, frugalwoods.com. Tell us a little bit about who the Frugal Woods are uh, I, I suspect many of my listeners are hearing from you for the first time. So tell us a little about, um, you know, these frugal weirdos that you are, that you self-describe <laughs> yourselves as. <laughs> What's the story? 
Sure. So the Frugalwoods family is me, my husband, Mr. Frugalwoods, our greyhound, frugal hound, and then uh, Baby Woods, who is the baby Frugalwoods who is due in just a few months. So we are very excited to be first-time parents. And the journey of Frugalwoods really coincided with the start of our journey to financial independence and to early retirement. So in early 2014, my husband and I were starting to feel just increasingly um, downcast and sort of depressed about the trajectory that our lives were on. We saw that we'd really done everything that you're sort of supposed to do. We'd gone to school, we'd gone to college, gotten good grades, gotten good jobs, worked hard, tried to advance in those careers, bought a house, got a dog. And we just thought, is this really what our life is for the next 40 years? And as we talked about what our dreams were, we thought, you know, someday we'd really love to move out to the woods, buy a homestead, and just live a much simpler life closer to the land. And part of this goal stemmed from the fact that we've always been pretty frugal. We've just never been people who got a lot of enjoyment out of spending money. We get a lot more enjoyment out of experiences and time with family and travel and things like that. And so we kept talking about this idea. And then in March 2014, we thought, you know what? If we really buckled down and started to live what we would call an extreme frugality lifestyle, we could actually make this homestead dream come true in a couple years, not in 40 years. So that's the path that we're on now. And we're planning on retiring in early 2017, if not before then. And we will both be about 33 at the time. So it's this is the path that we're on. And it's, it's really all in service of our goal to have the time and the space to pursue the things that we're passionate about and to really live the life that we want to live and not just the life that we have to live. That is incredible. Now, I want to ask you more about the extreme frugality lifestyle and what that looks like. But uh, first, I want to ask you how you figured out that you could retire by 33. What's the, as they say, what was the number that you were reaching towards, if there was one, so that you could... That, so that you would feel comfortable to really not have to work anymore. And we should mention you and your husband both gainfully employed, very educated, didn't have debt when you started uh, your lives together. Um, do, you, do you have a mortgage? Um, we do. And we actually don't plan on paying it down. So we bought a home in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is outside of Boston. And it's a um, a very high rent, high cost of living area. And so we felt extremely fortunate that we were able to buy our house. It's really probably the best like single financial thing that we've done. Um, it was part luck, but it was also part years of preparation. We had spent about I'd say six years researching the market and also saving. So we got married young um, when we were 24 and we never spent much of our money. So we've always been on this kind of savings trajectory. And so when we saw the opportunity to buy this single family house in Cambridge, we leapt on it. And this was in 2012. So it was kind of essentially the trough of this housing market, if there could be a trough. And we were able to get a 3.8% 30-year mortgage on this house. And the intention then is that this will turn into a rental. And we've had some appraisals done and we'll be able to rent it for conservatively about double our mortgage. So that's going to be a component of what we do while we're on the homestead is we'll keep this property as a rental. But overall for the homestead goal, we're kind of coming at it from a couple different ways. 
We do uh, believe in the 4% rule, and that's something that is in the back of our minds, but we actually don't really plan on drawing down on our investments. We rather plan to cover our living expenses from the rental income that will come from this house, possible other rentals that we'll pick up, and also the kind of freelancing that we plan on doing on the homestead. So I'll be writing. My husband is a software engineer, and he plans on doing that on the side for fun. And then we also plan to rent out some Airbnb properties, cabins, huts, things like that. The area that we're looking at buying in is a very tourist-friendly area, and we would really enjoy doing um, that hospitality work as part of our lives out there. So this is it's essentially having a lot in savings and having a lot invested, but also having very low living expenses. Well, let's so, talk about the very low living expenses, the extreme frugality. Um, what talk about a typical day for the two of you, and how that might would would compare to someone who is going to retire at sixty five as opposed to thirty three? I understand you saved over seventy percent of your income uh, last year. True, very true. Yes, and um, so that in an, another way to look at that is the amount that we spent, other than our mortgage. And other than our 401k contributions was $13,000. So that was on all of our living expenses for the year. And that's a very comfortable amount for us. We, you know, we don't feel deprived in our daily lives. We consider that we live a life of frugal luxury because we honestly really enjoy what we do. And we only spend in service of things that we value and that make us happy. So we certainly have um, areas where we allocate more money than other people would, but we're just very conscious every day about every dollar that we spend. So the way that we go through a month, we don't actually budget. We just come from the perspective of frugal autopilot. So we think, okay, how can we spend the least amount of money this month? And it's honestly a lot of fun for us. I think that's another key part of this, that we see it as a fun challenge. So anytime we're able to save money or um, accrue efficiencies in our daily work, it, we just have a great time. And think that's fantastic. So we publish our um, expense reports on the blog every month if you're interested in seeing kind of the granular breakdown. But we just don't have that many categories that we spend in. Um, I haven't purchased any clothes in 17 months, for example, even though I'm pregnant. And um, we don't spend on entertainment. We spend very little on transportation. We've really sort of economized a lot of these major areas in our lives. Can you share with us how you're planning for the baby? You're six months pregnant. I read that you've only spent $20 on the baby so far. How will you maintain this frugal lifestyle once you're parents? Don't you think it'll be a little more challenging? Yes, I think that's a great question. And we had planned for um, the baby for a while. We actually took us a while longer to conceive than we had thought it would. So we're sort of coming into parenting even a little bit later than we had anticipated, so, which is fine. And um, for us, you know, we really plan on approaching parenting much as we do everything else in our lives, that there are just ways to do everything less expensively than is standard. So we've been able to find so many hand-me-downs for her and we've really had to spend very little to prepare for her. And then our plans after she's born, you know, we're going to have to see, obviously our lives are going to change and we're very flexible and adaptable in um, obviously accommodating her in our lives. But for the most part, we just maintain this same sort of frugal outlook with 
everything that we approach. So we have a dog, for example, and a lot of people say, oh, a dog is a luxury and it's so expensive. And she is a luxury, but we actually don't spend that much on her in comparison to what um, a lot of other people experience with pets. So we shall have to see with Baby Woods. It will be a whole new experience for us, but um, certainly one that we've planned for. Well, living in Boston, too, not cheap. How do you navigate living in an urban environment where prices tend to have a pre- take on a premium? Uh, how do you save on everyday stuff? Sure. So we have actually found that almost the inverse is true, that because there are so many options here in the city, we are able to buy dirt cheap groceries, for example. So there is a local chain of grocery stores, Market Basket, in case you're in the area, that has just the cheapest produce and other products. So our weekly grocery bill is extraordinarily low, largely because we have this option. You know, we're not locked into a traditional grocery store. We also have a Costco and they have fantastic prices. So there again, we're able to accrue a lot things. We also walk a lot and bike a lot. So being able to get around the city, you know, just by foot or by bike is another fantastic savings. And not spending on entertainment is so easy here because there are endless free opportunities at the library or at museums. And so we really enjoy life in the city and all of the amenities um, that there are for free. And you live in a college town, which, uh, Definitely, I know, because having just lived on one campus, I know that there is an abundance of free opportunities to uh, have fun and um, try new things, go to concerts, plays. And Mm -hmm. so imagine that times 10 where you have, you know, all those colleges, those great schools in Boston. Right. Absolutely. And we're sort of very... I don't know, kind of whimsical and creative in our approach in our approach to things. So we've gone to all kinds of unusual festivals or plays or really anything that's free. We will try it out because why not? You know, there's always something to learn and we usually enjoy just about anything we do. So um, taking advantage of those opportunities and being really open minded is something that helps us a lot, too. You know, hearing you talk about how much you're enjoying this frugal lifestyle, it makes me wonder how somebody who maybe isn't as optimistic or is more set in a certain kind of uh, order, lifestyle, it would be so difficult to change that. But do you really think that anyone can do this? I do. I mean, I really think at the end of the day, and you know, my mission with Frugal Woods is not to say that everyone should be living the lifestyle that we live because, you know, I don't think everyone's dream isn't to move to a homestead and everyone's dream isn't to save 70% of their income. But what my mission is, is to show that I really think that when you start pursuing what you truly want in life, everything else just comes into focus so clearly. And since we know what we want and we have this end destination of being able to retire early, not spending money in the short term is a very easy trade-off for us to make. So I think my, my overarching idea is that it's really all about doing what you want to do and only spending on what matters to you. And that was the biggest eye-opener for us when we really buckled down to extreme frugality, that we had just all of this fluff in our budget where we were spending on things that you know, we'd forget about at the end of the month. We couldn't even remember that we'd spent the money. And so it clearly was not something that was adding to our joy and to our fulfillment as people. What is your financial philosophy? What is the Frugal Woods overarching financial philosophy? I 
think it's really figure out what your goals are and only spend in service of those. I think that's about it. And the other thing I always really like to say too, is that nothing is going to save you as much money as not buying anything. Yes. I think we can get, you know, it's like we can well, get caught the, up and Yeah, and because the marketing makes us think otherwise. I literally walked past a sign in my neighborhood the other day that said, the more you spend, the more you save. I was like, that exactly. is false. That is yes. a lie. So false. I think it's, you know, it's so easy to think, okay, how can I get a deal? How can I coupon? How right. can I budget? But it's really just like, just don't buy it. And then exactly. How about I don't buy it at all? It. I'll save a hundred percent instead of 20%. Exactly. What, uh, what was life growing up for you from a financial perspective? I, I wonder if, uh, your parents have any, can take any credit uh, for raising such a, a frugal minded young woman. Yes, I think hi mom and dad. They're they'll probably listen. So uh, yes, I can give them some credit. Um, I was raised in just a very standard middle class home, and you know our vacations were taking car trips to visit family, and we shopped at thrift stores and garage sales and drank powdered milk. So we were a pretty frugal family, but we certainly didn't want for anything as kids. My siblings and I, we had just a great upbringing, but my parents' focus was always on experiences. So we would go camping as a family. And the joy in that was really the experience. You know, we didn't go out for fancy dinners, but we'd sit around the campfire and eat this homemade tapioca pudding. And that was just like the coolest thing as a kid. So I always grew up with this idea that money is not really the answer to happiness, that people and experiences and family are really how you get at that joy and that happiness in life. And my parents have been married for 48 years, and they have just sort of demonstrated this lifelong joy um, for the entirety of their marriage. And they've really modeled this for their kids. And so I think in a lot of ways, I model my life after that, that, you know, it's not about making money and it's not about um, how much you can buy. It's really about the people that you're around. And what do they think now of your blog and your, your pursuit of retiring by 33? You know, they are very supportive. And I have to say, Mr. Frugal Woods's parents are very similar to mine, actually. And they're also very supportive. And it's it's wonderful to have that backing. They Both of our parents always encouraged us to do what we were passionate about. And they always said, you know, we know you'll be successful. You should really do what you feel called to do. And so having that kind of freedom as a kid just really enabled us both to pursue all these different ideas and opportunities growing up. And so I think our parents are not terribly surprised that we're doing this. You know, I think they always kind of thought we would do something unusual in our lives. And so I would say it was not a shock to them. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're definitely supportive. And they are looking forward to coming and visiting on the homestead. How anonymous is this project of yours amongst your friends? And I guess your coworkers definitely don't know, but are you worried they're going to find out? Well, that is a great question. And my answer would have been different a couple weeks ago, but um, we were very fortunate to be in Forbes recently and also in Boston.com, which um, turns out a lot of people we know read those and they (laughs) could tell that it was us. So so, um, the cat is really sort of coming out of the bag, I would say, about who we are. And, you know, we ultimately we are comfortable with that because, I don't ever make anything up on the blog. It's really just an honest articulation of 
what we believe and sort of what we are going through in our lives. So it's all things that we're comfortable with sharing with people who know us well, because it's really just insight into our personalities and who we are as people. So I think we are kind of evolving to be less anonymous, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. uh, Hey, you know, in this day and age where everything is, I mean, you have a blog and if if Forbes is writing about you, chances are mm, few people might find out. Right, right. I think if you do this, you have to be comfortable with at some point people finding out who you are and we're fine with that. Exactly. Well, good. I'm glad you're fine with it because I am definitely fine with it. I want to spread your story. Uh, I want to scream it from the hilltops um, and (laughs) maybe also take notes myself. Uh, I usually ask guests about a financial success. Well, first I ask them about failure. Um, and I have a feeling you may not have had any, but I want to know if you did have a failure of some, of some measure. Um, but as far as your success, I would say buying that house was probably, it sounds like that was your, your so money moment. I think so. That was truly the culmination of quite a bit of research and time spent going to open houses. I think we went to, we tried to tally this up. I think we went to over 250 open houses over the course of about six years. And it was really just information gathering and um, data gathering. And so we would go every weekend to open houses, you know, across this vast price range. And we were 24 years old. We couldn't afford a hut, you know, we couldn't afford a shack, but we were just building up kind of our real estate acumen. And so we educated ourselves. We got a really good sense of the market here, which moves at a lightning speed. There are endless bidding wars for properties. And we thought, okay, if we want to buy here, we have to be prepared. So we looked at this house and we put in an offer immediately. We knew immediately that this was um, a unique opportunity in this market and we didn't really have any hesitation. So, you know, I think just you can really do your research, even if you're not quite ready to pull the trigger, or even if you feel like you're in a crazy expensive market, you know, if you keep saving over time, you will get into a position where you can make an offer. Well, um, I would say that like any, any, uh, sort of, um, I guess journey, slow and steady wins the race. I'm a big, yes. I'm a big real estate fan. I'm curious, how much down did you put on the house? If you said this was a very fast moving market, I suspect that you have to be really good qualified buyers. Yes. Um, we put, let me see. I think this is, we put 60,000 down on the house and it was a, um, we bought it for about 460. So that's about, it's less than 20%, which is, uh, good. I would say, I mean, like usually in a market like New York or Boston, I thought maybe you'd have to have 30% or 50%, but that's encouraging. Well, yeah. And you know, we, since we were able to get such a great rate on our mortgage, you know, we really didn't want to have to put down any more than we needed to. And like I said, we're not accelerating our mortgage payments at all. Um, because we're just, we're really pleased with that rate. So that was another piece of this that we were very pleased about. Okay, so let's talk failure now. What would you say, I know maybe you don't have any, but I'm sure you've got some missteps along the way. And maybe going back to when you were living this frugal lifestyle, what would you say is your number one failure? What happened and what did you learn? I think that would have to be uh, the contents of my closet. 
I have an affinity for clothing and I have always really enjoyed getting a deal, but this kind of goes back to my, you know, you're just going to save more money if you don't buy anything. took me a while to internalize that because I used to go to thrift stores all the time and I would always come out with, you know, just a great dress or skirt or something that I just had to have. And each piece might only be, you know, 10, 15, $20, but that adds up. And it adds up over the course of a month and over the course of a year. And I also realized it was just a lot of stuff that I don't need. I can only wear so many clothes at a time. And I was overwhelming myself and my closet. And um, so I came to this idea to do a clothes buying ban. And I started that in 2014. And then I've just kept it going. So I'm, you know, 17 months into not buying any clothes at all. And it's really great, I have to say. For me, it's been very liberating to just kind of take that out of my life. I think I'm just going to keep going with this until um, circumstance necessitates that I buy something. (laughs) Well, you must be having a very accommodating pregnancy. I am. I have to say that is a big part of it. Um, I have not, I have stayed pretty small, but I also have gotten a lot of hand-me-downs of maternity clothes. So from my sister and from girlfriends who are um, finished with their pregnancies, I've been so, so grateful to get their hand-me-downs. And, you know, the clothes are not, they're not brand new. They're not perfect. They're not necessarily my style, but take them and run. Oh, Oh, I am, you know, it's a, finite period of time in my life, I am really okay with it. And I think it's just a great example of how you really can save so much more money. You know, people assume, oh, I need to buy a whole maternity wardrobe. You really don't. You can take hand-me-downs. You can kind of wear the same dresses each week. And you Nobody know, I, I will share. Uh, I, sh- I will share a similar mistake in, in in the clothing department. I did go out and buy a number of new maternity clothes. I was also launching a book. I needed to look good for TV, mm-hmm. so I, there was a need in some ways. However, when I was off camera and just at home, I literally wore like the same thing every day because when you're 30 pounds overweight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, like you don't care about looking great. You just want to wear what's comfortable, especially for that third trimester. Like I just wanted something that I could get my legs through. And usually it was just a, a big skirt. And um, yeah, thinking back yes. to those days, I have to laugh. But no, I, I'm wearing Mr. Frugal Woods' t-shirt and um, gym shorts right now around the house because it's very comfortable. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, men's clothes take on a whole new appreciation when when you're pregnant. Yes. He keeps saying, stop eyeing my clothes. Look, I am almost in my third trimester. I know. I stretched out a lot of uh, Tim's t-shirts, but you know what? It was for a good cause. That's right. What's your number one habit that you and Mr. Frugalwoods participate in um, that helps you with your finances? Mm, I think this would have to be communicating regularly about our goals and about our spending. So we, this whole venture for us is a very joint decision and I'm not really sure how it would work if it wasn't because, you know, we both have to be fully bought into this lifestyle and this idea in order for it to be successful and to be enjoyable. So something that's been a a key tenant for us is to just constantly touch base with each other and make sure that we are on top of our spending, on top of um, what our investments are doing, and that we're both just feeling comfortable with how everything is going. So the way we do that is, you know, once a month, we pull all of 
our expenses together and we like to use personal capital and then we throw them up on the blog. And it's, it's fun because it, it serves as a way to communicate it to our readers, but also to each other. And so we go through, I'm a big fan of going through spending line item by line item. So, you know, some months we'll have something on there that cost $1.50, but we put it up there because it was a line item. And that helps us stay on track in the short term. And then at the end of every year, we do a big annual review and um, make sure that we're still pleased with how everything is working. And aside from, you know, the mechanics of this, I think more importantly is just the philosophy and how we're both feeling and making sure that we're both still motivated and inspired and engaged in the goal and in the process. Well, I can't wait to come visit you guys on the homestead. Yes, you'll have to. I'll have to. Come bring a camera and we'll do this all over again. But, you know, uh, part two of the Frugal Woods journey. Absolutely. So before we wrap, though, I'd love to pick your brain and get some so money fill in the blanks filled. Sure. Are are you familiar with this part of the show? I am. Yes. All right. So you've heard it before. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say someone dropped off $100 million on your doorstep. The first thing I would do is... So I would actually create a donor advised fund and become a philanthropist. I think that would just be an incredible opportunity to have. And then we'd move on out to the homestead and honestly, probably just do as we had previously planned. With the additional charitable. Uh, yes. Venture. Yes. With, with, the, with the charitable arm that, you know, otherwise we would not be able to give so generously. Excellent. One thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better. You talked about frugal luxury earlier on in your con- in our conversation. What's an example of that? That would be our car. So Frugal Wismobile is 19 years old, but we love her. <laughs> we don't have a car payment, but you know she does eat gas and she kind of guzzles oil. So um, that just makes our lives easier. We've lived without a car. You can do it in the city, but honestly, it's really nice to have it. It's a luxury that yes. we like. And when you have a kid, it's going to be really, really helpful. Yes. Yes. One thing that I splurge on or your guilty pleasure, what is that? Seltzer. So Seltzer. Okay. <laughs> We've optimized the seltzer consumption. Don't worry. We hacked our soda stream. We put a 20 pound CO2 tank on it, but this still costs us about 70 bucks a year. And that is just like pure luxury to have the bubbly water on tap. Nice. Yeah. I love, I, I actually have a bottle of uh Poland spring sparkling water with me here now. I just, it's, I don't, water is kind of boring. Um, Agreed. I, I Agree. Mean, I need it. Obviously, we need water and I, I drink a lot of it, but sometimes I just want a little bit of flavor without the calories. All about the seltzer. All right. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is? I wish I'd known how important it is to have a goal for your money. It's so much more fulfilling and enjoyable to save towards a goal for me. Mm. When I donate, I like to give to blank because... I like to give to small nonprofits where my money can have a greater impact. So I know that my donation is going to go a lot farther at a charity that has a really modest operating budget than at, you know, a mega nonprofit. And last but not least, I'm Mrs. Frugal Woods, partner in the Frugal Woods journey. I'm so money because... I love living the extremely frugal life and I'm planning to retire at 33 to a homestead in the woods. Wow. And I think you might have, if you do this, you might even beat out Mr. Money Mustache. 
Oh, were we really? Perhaps. I know he was like 30 or in his 30s. Um, you might be tied, but still extremely impressive. And the more stories like this we hear, I think the better, not just for me selfishly, but <laughs> I think for everyone out there to be inspired and say, you know what? It is possible. It's a choice in some cases to really rejig your budget, rethink your spending, first start with your goals and and go for it. You guys are just uh, a walking, talking inspiration. So thank you so much. And thank you to Mr. Frugal Woods. I'm sorry we couldn't hear from him, but he's got to work. He does. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Good luck with the baby. Thank you. That is a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Mrs. Frugal Woods and the Frugal Wood campaign, visit their website, frugalwoods.com. They're on Twitter at Frugal Woods. We've got all this information at somoneypodcast.com where you can also grab the transcript and comments from this episode and all previous episodes. And I want to hear from you. Submit your question about money, work, life, and guests at somoneypodcast.com. And there's a very good chance that I will answer it this weekend. Tweet me at Farnoosh as well. Use the hashtag somoney so I can find you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again to my guest, Mrs. Frugalwoods, and to all of you for joining me on this Labor Day Monday. Hope you're having a wonderful break from the nine to five and you're out enjoying the unofficial last day of summer. Hope your day is so money. So money.